I, yeah, I, uh, I don't like to call people unless I feel like I have something to show for myself. That's, see, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But that's, that, 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 goes like, for, that goes for like male friends. It goes for family. It goes for, I don't, yeah. Oh, God. Uh, and, and, and that's how <laughs> I got to be the man I am. <laughs> well, just consider that maybe someone out there might just want to hear your voice. Could consider it. it. They should fucking subscribe to this goddamn podcast. <laughs> hear it all the time. That's the needle drop. Oh, very good. Very good. Very good. Excellent work. You can go to bed now. I'm Matthew Buckley-Smith, and you're listening to Slee Rickets. Thank you all for listening. And thank you especially to those of you who have had a chance to recommend the show to a friend or a family member, just somebody you think might enjoy it. I do appreciate it, and it is uh, slowly increasing our, uh, our number. There are more and more of you I hear from and who are, have been in touch uh, through Twitter, through email. You can reach us as always at sleerickets gmail.com or at sleerickets on Twitter. Uh, thanks to thanks to everybody who, who listens or, or takes part in any way. Uh, I'm grateful and uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I welcome you all. The more the merrier. This week I am speaking to Alice Allen. Really, I mean, speaking to Alice Allen at this point seems a little bit inaccurate. Alice is once again joining me, and the two of us have a uh, slightly loopy conversation <laughs> about what makes a bad poet. What what is a what is bad? What are bad poets? Do they exist? Uh, what is it? What would it mean? What would be required to qualify as a bad poet? And what are some examples, past and present? This was the last conversation I'd recorded in a week cram-packed with conversations and lectures I was giving, so I was really tired by the time uh, this uh, we got around to this, and, uh, and it shows a little bit. It is a, it's a very nerdy poetry conversation. It's also a very silly conversation. Alice says lots of offensive things about uh, Americans being uh, spineless sentimentalists when it comes to poetry, and uh, men being incorrigible bullies who uh, prevent women from uh, having their say in workshop. I, I, I'm not sure if that's, I th I'll say, uh, if memory serves, that's a, that's a pretty fair paraphrase of what she says. You can send any questions you might have to at poetry underscore says on Twitter, uh, or just go check out her podcast, uh, Poetry Says, and write lots of uh, uh, angry uh, emails. Uh, I'm going to, uh, let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Alice right now. So I had not read all of these uh, Terence Hayes poems that you mentioned, uh, but boy, they're not—they're not good. I think he's figuring something out in public. Yes, and there's a, and there's an addendum to that. Like, but yes, okay. I think I think so. So you wrote me in frustration because you, like early, at least one of the early podcasts of yours I listened to, you sort of declared a great admiration for him it was, it was like it was in some kind of superlative terms that i like as someone who's very impressed with him 
and frustrated as well. I, I sort of I I challenged that claim a little bit, but but yeah, I mean he's he is very talented and he can write some good poems. Uh, you were not happy with his last three poems in the New Yorker. Yeah, and I think a big part of that is I was coming in with huge expectation and you know, just a, an assumption that these poems would do for me what so many of the other ones that I've read of his have done. American Sonnets from My Past and Future Assassin is is really one of my favourite books. But, like, yeah, these three, are, he's going in a totally different direction um, and I'm not quite sure whether he's landed where he needs to just yet, but it's all being published on The New Yorker. And I was looking back through the poems that have been published on The New Yorker over the last couple of months. And I was like, I kind of don't like most of these. There's one I found that I really love, but most of them I'm just like, yeah, no, I skip. Do you mean by him or by anybody? By anyone. Oh, yeah, they're bad. Yeah, The New Yorker publishes bad poems. Yeah, that's generally, <laughs> generally the case. I mean, I... I so really... I, they do publish good poems, but it's by accident. Like, it's, it's when somebody <laughs> happens to be famous and then they accidentally solicit a good poem. It's it's a once in a blue moon. There's a really a good poem there. But I like uh, Kevin Young. I mean, I think I think he's a he's a good poet, and I have a soft spot for him. But I don't know what it is because he's his taste seems just as bad as Paul Muldoon's, and his was just as bad as the lady before him. So I don't know. It's something about the venue. Yeah, they must they must be under pressure. I mean, I guess because they also publish a print version. They need to publish things that are going to sit comfortably alongside prose and fiction and maybe stand out. Yeah, uh, but, but like it so it. doesn't it so doesn't matter. They just seem like and people don't read them. Like the people the people who are worried about reading the prose for the most part aren't going to read the poems at all. So I don't think they really have a good excuse because they also could publish anybody they wanted. Mm. I just think that for some reason they end up publishing shit. What's what's happening, Kevin? What like he seems like a really smart guy. Yes, yeah. He's yeah, he's so what, he, he's overextended. On? He always he's he publishes too much. He is like always editing five books of like different anthologies and things. And he well, that sounds stressful. Like nonfiction books as well. So no, like he he's way overextended. I think is part of it. Uh, okay. And that's and maybe like the person who does that job is always overextended, and so that's the thing they care least about probably, which is you know maybe is correct. Like maybe if. If you're Kevin Young, that is the part of like that is the job of yours that you should care least about, right? I mean, oh well, that sucks. <laughs> I I go to the New Yorker to see the best of American poetry. I guess I'm it's looking in the fool, wrong place. Fool. Yeah, it's a terrible idea. I mean, <laughs> where I don't should know I be where. looking? Uh, I don't. I'm not sure where, but it's not there. There are magazines that are better than others, but boy, there are not very many that you say like, well, you, you're not going to read crap there, right? Like, because okay. no magazine is going to publish only home runs, but, but you, you know, you, you would love to publish at least something that's interesting or something that's competent or like, but I think every poetry magazine publishes some just draws. Like a, like a not, like the best of them just publish a little bit of dross. There's that joke about uh, hell where a guy goes to hell and it's it's just like an office building and everyone's sitting around um, drinking coffee and everything's just, you know, it's like a boring fluorescent lit office building, uh, but they're all standing uh, ankle deep in human shit. 
and uh, and then he says, "Well, this is you know, this is not great, but it's not so bad." And then uh, the demon walks by and says, "All right, everybody, breaks over, heads back down, right?" And so like that's the like like the good the good American poetry magazines are just ankle deep in shit. I think that's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, oh fucking hell! Okay, well I'm still I'm still going to subscribe to the New Yorker because I do I do like reading. You're not subscribing for the poems, are you? Well, no, not okay. just I mean, that for would the also poems. just be very inefficient, right? I mean, just I get a tote two. bag. And a tote, oh, God, come on. <laughs> you can, all right, let's find you. All right, any poetry, I know some poetry editors listen uh, to this. So if you if you have a good uh, good subscription deal to offer Alice to get her some yeah. good poems on a regular basis, I am uh, a poor Australian uh, convict lady and i need your help <laughs> descendant of convicts yeah she's <laughs> she's poor barely literate uh but you know we <laughs> recently learned to dress herself but we need to send her some good poems so help please help, help us me. out david clark uh eric smith whoever which whoever you're, you're whichever you were listening uh, so, uh for real though word. because uh, yeah i guess the the uh the interesting thing about these poems is they're really different from the sonnets mm -hmm. and there seems to be a through line. They seem to be poems about animals, but Terence is also addressing his children. Um, yeah, they they feel like a middle point between American sonnets and something else. So I'm excited to see what that something else turns into. But these ones feel a little bit like way stations. So, and just to because I was going back through their previous issues so i have the capra iagras uh iagagras hiracus which is the goat um and then pseudocris crucifer which is the tree frog but yeah. then the, the 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 second most recent one was called continuity um yeah that so one doesn't there, fit with the other two so is there another that. but there's not another animal one you're thinking of uh i don't think so because then the Maybe one before I... that was called george floyd yeah. and it felt a little closer to American sonnets, but it also it also felt very slapped together. Like it felt like a, like word games with a theme slapped together. Uh, but it was not it was not like the, like the uh like the it was it was not like the weird animal one and because cont continuity also seemed like the very worst of them to me. Or at least I found it the least variable. Yeah. Why don't you one. here re re as as a as, as a uh, diehard Terence Hayes fan, why don't you read us one of these these fine new poems of his, so that we can get some in our ears and know what you're talking about? Okay, well, I do want to read the goat one. It is a bit long. Yeah, go ahead, um, go for it. Is it okay? All right. Yeah. yeah. If it's horrible, I'll just, I'll, just, like, uh, I'll just cut this whole episode and never call you again. Just cut the whole thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I'll I'll just kind of tell you where it loses me because. You know, there's a there's a certain point where I'm like, okay, well, I'm not having fun anymore. And this uh, came out so the January twenty fourth edition of the New Yorker. It looks like, all right, go ahead. Yeah, so it's called Capra agagris hircus, which is wild male goat. No one knew the reason the town goat followed the flower vendor around town, until someone found piles of damp petals along the routes the flower vendor took. All the kinfolk of the goat had long become food. Their bones and muscles had been used for tools and weapons. Manish water, a popular goat stew, was made from the feet, intestines and testicles of some goats. Cashmere came from the undercoat of superfine fibres on the underbelly of other goats. 
Because the goat is one of the oldest domesticated animals, it was one of the first to be sacrificed in rituals, cooked in a hole of fire, thrown off the side of the mountain. So far, I'm fine. Cool. Goat, goat <laughs> facts. Loving it. Love, loving it strong, but yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. Our goat followed the vendor around town, dragging chains anytime there was a death and dragging bells anytime a child was born. The goat had no name, or each of us called it a different name, but when we draped its horns in wreaths of fruit and flowers at harvest time, we called it Cornucopius the goat. Dionysus spent his childhood disguised as a goat under Zeus's protection, but he went mad when he turned back into a human. Goats have pupils flat as slits in their irises. A goat is more likely to ram a man than a ram. Okay, and that's annoying. That's really annoying. <laughs> and then, he, and then this stanza is just irritating. Our goat pooped flowers, whether we fed it meat from the table or the butcher's block, or even if it ate a rodent at the roadside after scaring the buzzards off. That, why? Why would you include an impossibility like that? I just, I, I, I've already been kind of irritated by the ram a man thing, and then there's this whole stanza about the goat is magical and then now we're talking about buzzards buzzards because when you put an ear to the bird it sounded like bees in a hive well we didn't we weren't talking about buzzards we just weren't yeah that, the that average is when goat, like, the poem becomes schizophrenic but yeah 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 the average goat is well known for pinpoint balance in precarious places for climbing trees with hooves like ballerina shoes and for escaping escape proof enclosures when grazing undisturbs, goats maintain social distance, but sheep huddle together. That was the point where I was like, Terence Hayes, Terence, I love you. What's going on? Talk to me. I need to know. Because why would you bring that term into this poem? Like, we talked about this a bit in Josh's class. Like, you just have to be really, really careful about when you want to... Like, you know, you know, back in 2013, there was like hashtags all through poems, yeah. you know, and like um, it dates it. Maybe he doesn't mind that, but there's just no reason that I can see. It doesn't add anything and it detracts so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm, not, I'm been, not quite done. It would have been tired by like summer 2020. Yeah. And it came out this year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the last three stanzas, goats don't care for rain, rivers, or seeds. Goats converse with people about as well as dogs and horses do. When your grandfather's grandfather was alive, he used to say, I'll be here to eat the goat that eats the grass on your grave. That's awesome. Why don't you start <laughs> the poem there? It's a, a pretty good insult, yeah. Ah, oh, it's wonderful to start there, yeah. Many years later, you were born stubbornly side-eyeing the doctor at your delivery. Maybe your mother had been given a magic goat's milk by the midwife. I bought flowers and bells and babbling of a goat. You spoke immediately as well as a goat. I'm sorry I have always listened so poorly. Uh, it's not successful and uh, I'm very sorry to say it because I love uh, Terence Hayes very much. I wanted to see what it was you precisely you said. Uh, oh no, <laughs> this is an audio <laughs> message. <so. laughs> oh, it was an audio, oh damn. All right, yeah. Uh, you said what I think what it was you said something like I think he's a bad poet now or like I'm worried he's a bad poet it was something it was something to that 
effect. And then, and then we're like, we, we, I think there's like other, I want to talk to you more about like what a bad poet is, but what I, what I do think, I think I agree with you that he is trying something out because this does not sound like the earlier poems of his I've read. And it does sound very deliberate. It's sort of agonizingly deliberate and, and it's, constructions are repetitive. I mean, the con the continuity one is, is even more maddening because, it, because it's even more repetitive. Uh, but, and it has, it, have, it has even less of a through line. <laughs> At least the goat one is about goats. But yeah, I mean, the impression I get is that he's doing a thing that poets probably should do, which is they, they, they get into a mode that, that serves them well. And then they, you know, too often stick with that forever. And so he's, shaking it up, he's trying something out. He's He doesn't know how to do this kind of poem yet, but he's working at it and trying to figure it out. It's, you know, I, I can imagine like a more developed version of this having a little of a quality of like a, almost a James Tate poem um, that there's there's sort of a, there's a bald face declaration or like a, a deadpan quality that could become something that would be interesting. I think like uh, Joshua Beckman had some poems that I, I sort of liked in his book, Shake, that were these sort of weird, repetitive mantras of kind of bland statements, but he, he was able to kind of conjure some magic out of them. Whatever whatever he's after, it's not getting anywhere right now. And so it, it is, It's I just feel like it's really good evidence that people are just publishing poems by Terrence Hayes. And it's, they're really just placebo poems. Like it really truly does not matter what they are. They're just publishing poems that he's sending out. And here's what I'm not sure about. I think it's possible that he knows this is just, he's just working stuff out and it's not, he's not ready yet. And people are pestering him for poems. And so he's saying, hey, joke's on you pay me money, you know, in which case, fine, whatever. I just, I wish, you know, they were not publishing him, but I'm not sure because American Sonnets, which was way better, which is, you know, I, it's not one of my favorite po uh, books of poems as it is yours, but I think it's, it's extraordinarily strong. I, I also think it's really, really under edited and it's really raw and it should have gone through even a little bit more refinement, even like a little bit further editing would have made it a much, much better book. And I think people haven't been saying no to him for a while. And so yeah. I don't know if he knows these are not done. Like if, if his previous book had been immaculate, had been really, really sort of really fully finished and turned, then I would think he's, he's fucking with us. I don't know if he knows he's fucking with it. Like I don't, and that's what makes me worry is that I don't know if this will ever get to where it could get because I don't know that anybody will say no to him again, or at least not for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, only Terence Hayes can answer these questions, and I don't, I don't know if I would come onto this podcast. Every <laughs> we just said. <laughs> I would love to have Terence Hayes on this podcast. I will oh my be, god, I will be an absolute gentleman. I would, I would treat you very uh, hospitably. I'd, I'd, of course, I mean, and he is like, he, there's, there's an enormous amount to admire there, but I worry about that, and it's part of what I worry about. It's trying to figure out this problem about bad poets, and it's. I kind of ran into a little bit of a wall with the question of the persona or the name of the poet versus the poems themselves. Because I think like bad poet 
can mean a few different things. Do you do so? I promised initially to be to let you be the bad cop on this question because I think my my inclination is to be relatively generous with this question. But what to you is a bad poet? Um, well, I don't. I'd have to go back and listen to the message, but I don't think I said, "Oh no, Terence Hayes is a bad poet." Now, I think what I said was, "I'm never going to get over it." Like this is, so, <laughs> this is, which is not true. Like obviously, the next time Terence Hayes writes something that I like, I'll be all excited again. But uh, let, yeah, let me, here, let me let me try to okay. play it and see if we can at least hear it. Uh, <laughs> no, no, please. <laughs> well, I can cut it later, but I just, I'm just curious. I'm curious if it'll like come come through the mic even at all. Uh, oh, make sure this is... All right, that's that's rather. Also, I was going to message oh. you yesterday oh, because. Terence Hayes' last three poems in The New Yorker have been so bad. And the latest one is just so terrible. It's just really upsetting. Like, I'm never going to get over it. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that was what you said. You're never going to get over it. All right. Don't send voice messages to boys ever. (laughs) Guys, don't, don't do it. Who have who have podcasts? No, I mean, I'll, yeah, it's, uh, but yeah, no. The, the um, you're very good at emotional hyperbole, but also like, what do you like? Does that does, is there a is there like a permanent like? Does that is that a meaningful thing really? No, in in a way, it's just kind of great because if Terence Hayes is working something out in public, which is what I think is happening, whether he's consciously doing it or not, um, that's good for me because I get to see that everything he writes isn't fantastic i mean i did kind of know that i do i can think of a few poems in american sonnets that are not that strong um it's the same with eileen miles latest poem uh on the new yorker is is very underwhelming and that's good for me to see as well because i mean i'm joking about being you know a poor convict who subscribes to the new yorker to see the best of american poetry but i do read those poems to get a sense of what's going on rightly or wrongly and it's good to see that people who I frankly might idolize um, sometimes write stuff that I think I could do better at, you know? You should already feel that free. Like I, w- I, w- I hope that you the freedom should be there already, not because we should all feel free and uh, creativity is magic, but because of course, it's, of course, of course, it's so, it's so right, much badness, it. so much, so much, uh, so much terrible poetry. But yeah, so I, I do. I mean, do you? Are there bad poets? I think probably the fact that I'm hesitating means that I want to say yes. Okay. Um, so, like, wh- what would that mean? I have some I th- thoughts, yeah. but yeah. So, what would it mean? I think. It would mean that you never change. You write the same kind of thing over and over again, and you are completely resistant to feedback. And I, I know of and can think of, you know, examples just from my own little poetry life here in Melbourne. People who are just just writing the same thing over and over again, and it's not successful, but they are in love with it, and. Yeah, I think it's that inability to step outside your own work and ask questions. Yeah, I don't see. I can't decide if it's more or less generous to do what I'm inclined to do, which is to separate people who are 
rank amateurs and say like that's not badness that's sort of under like immaturity or like a lot like even if it's permanent immaturity like there's a like you haven't risen to the level of a bad poet when you're when you're sort of like so stuck and so unable and unwilling to develop and just sort of doing the terrible things that like kids do when they start start learning to write poetry and never get past that it, it uh, in addition to like excluding you from like fair game for making fun of you it doesn't it um the product of that like this so maybe that's part of it is like i i would say that if you are a bad poet, part of what has to be required there is that you write bad poems. Mm -hmm. And if the poems you write are just stillbirths, I mean, that's, that was Sylvia Plath's term, right? For the poems that didn't ever go, where they were, they were stillborns. Then it does, you know, that's not quite, it doesn't quite, um, I feel like a really bad poem has to take flight. Like it has to get off the ground a little bit. In order to, Blind to a wall. Right. Yeah, no, but right. It's like in order to be notable enough, right, to mm. be bad. Maybe part of it is that I think every, so everybody writes bad poems. Um, every poet who writes any poems writes bad poems. Uh, great poets write bad poems. What's notable about them is that they ever wrote some great poems. And so for the most part, my, I tend to think that like, bad poetry is sort of uh the status quo like it kind of does it's like it, it doesn't it shouldn't almost it sh almost shouldn't even like register because it's like it's just nothing the thing the only thing that even like should show up on the richter scale or on the uh the geiger counter is like oh a good poem oh shit like that's an unusual event that's you know lightning struck mm. something happened yeah but then i think there are poets who make an impression and and it and what they have made an impression with sucks and that's maybe a different kind of thing like the the example that that gets overused um and that ben lerner uh beat to death in his book yeah. the oh, hatred of poetry i'm gonna have the book right here because, there you go uh, william william topaz mcgonagall yeah yeah i uh, it from the library yeah, so so that's he he gets beat up all the time, specifically for the Taybridge disaster, which is, which is truly a terrible poem. I mean, is is a hilariously bad poem. And again, it, it couldn't be this bad if it weren't a little good, right? And I think even Ben Leonard talks about you know he breaks down the meter and so forth. But you know, I'll just just to get give people a sense. I think most people listening to this will probably have heard some of it at least, but. Uh, the it's about a terrible uh, the, the bridge a bridge that people were on collapsed and killed a bunch of people and he writes about the disaster the poem begins beautiful ra railway bridge of the silvery tay alas I am very sorry to say that 19 lives have been taken away on the last Sabbath day of 1979 which will, will be remembered for a very long time uh, which is not great and it it tends to get worse from there but that's like in order for him to be that bad he has to have some, there has to be some sort of some charisma there. Like it's, if it were a total abortion, if it just didn't go at all, it wouldn't be entertaining. He also had some, had some notoriety in his lifetime, right? Like he had a little bit of a profile. I think if you're totally, totally so obscure. I think, yeah, I mean, I think he became known for being bad at some point, but he had a, 
he had some he was not an unknown like we when we discover the work of unknown artists and it's very very bad either nothing comes of it or it's bad in just the right way that we call it outsider art right and it becomes this other thing uh which sometimes is great uh though not that often there's an outsider art museum in baltimore and joanna loves i, I find like a very very small percentage of it is actually interesting as art but like there's some there's some uh having some profile having some you know i feel like a bad poetry can't be like a tree that falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it like if there's no one there to hear it it can't really be bad in any notable way mm. um, and i would say like like the the stronger example would be someone like rod McEwen, who was actually like really really popular in his lifetime and uh and was very bad uh he was a um singer songwriter poet but he did publish specifically poetry and 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 then spoken word poetry in the late 60s i found this uh infuriatingly bad poem of his i can read part of it if you want um, please called without a worry in the world <laughs> you all have seen the vagabond as he went singing in the dawn without a worry in the world i've never seen a gypsy who could be a gypsy through and through and have a worry in the world <laughs> that's that's not already <laughs> repellent enough. Um, he, here, I'll, I'll skip to the end because it is somewhat somewhat long. Uh, all merry men are minstrels then, who keep their troubles locked inside and don't inflict them on the world. Isn't there something to be said for having had someone instead of never having had any at all? Without a worry in the world, without a worry in the world, yes, I've got troubles of my own. I'll try to solve them all alone. I won't inflict them on the world. <laughs> <laughs> you feel like this poem could just be titled shut up <laughs> like, like, it's just it's so inhumane and so and yet so like daffy like <laughs> shut the fuck up stop complaining <laughs> so he was um very famous and very successful very popular and i think like again it wouldn't get to be bad if it didn't have some like there's enough charisma there's enough of a sense of like how to get people to listen that he's communicating something like i i was reminded so i think i've told you before there was a guy when i was in college who uh was like a very funny guy he was a, in a rock band um and he ended up going to iowa for poetry and he's he's published a number of books since then i got his most recent book because my memory of his poetry was that he was very funny but he would sort of write deliberately bad poems like he'd write them in a very sort of self-consciously to try to make them as bad as possible and i found so i haven't read all his whole new book but i found i mean the thing is like you I, you can't call him a bad poet because i think he's sort of a genius but it is it's like he is he is doing what rod McEwen didn't realize he was doing but he but he seems to understand it so i'll try to find the poem i yeah it's called eight things i hate about me i won't read the whole thing because it's kind of long um I hate it when I plant a kiss on each bicep in a dive bar, mocking a dock worker with biceps twice mine in diameter into arm wrestling me, <laughs> only to be all the more humiliated when I lose. <laughs> I'll just read one. I hate it when I fall. <laughs> I, I hate it when I fall off my yacht and the weight... <laughs> Jesus. Guys, Matthew's losing it. <laughs> this is my wife. My wife makes funny. So I, I like this. Is the 
I it's I won't say I never cry, but like the one time I really cry is when I'm laughing and just like <laughs> water just streams down my face. <laughs> I hate it when I fall off my yacht and the weight of all the mobile gaming gaming de- and the weight of all the mobile gaming consoles and my cargo shorts pockets pins me, <laughs> pins me to the seafloor. <laughs> It's great. What are you talking about? No, I'm saying like he's, he's a genius. He's like I okay. actually really want to get him on the podcast. That's Mark Leitner. He's he's like I, my memory of him is that he was an incredibly sweet guy, and he's like he's a genius. I would say like he probably he would probably be irritated with the comparison. It reminds me a little bit of Jack Handy. Like it seems to be it's sort of written clearly with like a another layer of awareness above the awareness of the poem itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like again, you you can't. It's hard to be. It's hard to be really bad without being a little good. And I think of like, um, like Alexander Pope did, he was with the, um, you know, the, the Scribbler Society? No. So he and Jonathan Swift and a couple other guys, um, maybe Arbuthnot, a couple, a couple other guys were in this, what they called the Scribbler Society. And what it was is they made up this guy named Martin Scribblerus and they wrote bad things in his name and published them under his name, making fun of all the other writers they hated. Uh, and so he, he wrote, he wrote, you know, he wrote a whole epic poem called the Dunciad, which is just like a lot of, it's just all making fun of bad contemporary poets, but it is like, it's Pope, but it's, it's sort of like a book of like an insult comedy book where like all the jokes are 300 years out of date. So it doesn't really, land but his but he also wrote Perry Bathos which is a which is a fake a fake like um essay in if memory serves it's like in the it's written by Martin Scribblers but it's it, he it's where we we get the term bathos from where, oh, okay. where he's saying like this like the way to really write good poetry is to make your poem sink has to start with the sublime and then sink to the ridiculous and that's how poems really really get their get their oomph across and it does seem like that's a lot of like whether it's deliberately or or, or accidentally bad poetry, mm. um, like I mean, some of I would say some of uh, Ern Malley when Ern Malley is like goofily dumb, it's sometimes like the collision of the sublime with the ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, I was just I was just re-listening to that this morning. Like, I guess what you're saying is to be really bad it has to draw attention to itself it has to declare that it deserves your attention and then disappoint anger or frustrate you yeah whereas to just be somebody's um private rhyming couplets about the girl they have a crush on that might also be bad poetry but right it's not staking any kind of claim right i mean it's it's like it's the difference between like trying to shoot at a target at the gun range and missing and like trying to hold up a convenience store and accidentally shooting your balls off. It has to be like, there has to be an event, right? Something has to occur, you know? How do you come up with this stuff? <laughs> I mean, because there's, because there is like, like a, just like a, like a, like a, a who cares bad poems, like it is kind of like a misfire, like a, like it just sort of like, like nothing happens, but. There, I found, by the way, I had forgotten about, but there was an American, Ern Malley. Um, oh, was it? Was it? Not, not as, has not had, cast as long a shadow, partly because one of the inventors was actually sort of a successful poet in his own right. Um, so in the in 1916, 
it was Witter Binner and Arthur Fick. And Witter Binner was actually a pretty successful poet in his time. And, and I quite like some of his poems since then. But the two of them made up this, the spectric school of poetry. Right. And they had, so the two, it was made up of two people who were, their names were Emmanuel Morgan and uh, Anne Kanish. And I'm not sure if one of them wrote one or they collaborated or what, but they were pretty successful. They totally uh, hoodwinked William Carlos Williams, among other people, and then later kind of revealed the hoax. And some people have said, you know, oh, but these are really, really better than their work. I think this, unlike Ern Malley's work, I think this is sort of, it, it's hard not to see this as being obviously ridiculous. Like if it's good, it's good in the way that Mark Leidner's poems are good. It's so, it's, it's so deliberately dumb. Mm. Um, here's, uh, um, here's Opus 15 by Emmanuel Morgan. Despair comes when all comedy is tame and there is left no tragedy in any name when the round and wounded breathing of love upon the breast is not so glad a sheathing as an old brown vest. Asparagus is feathery and tall and the hose lies rotting by the garden wall. It, it's sort of both pretentious and pathetic. I mean, like I was really trying to think of who is a bad poet today who's notably a bad poet. And I, I think like disappointingly, I don't know that there's a good answer because they're like first like poets who are really bad i don't i just don't read them that much like if i read a couple poems and i think they're bad i don't go back for more and so I there's think, no one sorry go ahead well i would say and like so many of the poets published today are not even published because i feel like if you're really going to be a bad poet and it's like in a way that like where you can go, go on the like hall of fame of bad poetry people have to like your bad poems for their badness in a way, right? Like you have to, it does, it's not, it doesn't count if people just sort of like you as an identity or as a persona and then publish your poems, even though they're bad. Like that's sort of, that's a different thing. Like in order to be really bad, you have to see, or like be influentially bad. I feel like, like McGonagall has style. It's a terrible style, but it is style. And Rod McEwen, mm -hmm. similarly, like there's there's a thing that is McEwen-ness. Whereas like, like if all of Terrence Hayes' poems were the continuity poem or the goat poem, and he were celebrated for those, he would be in the running, right? For for like a genuine, honest to God, bad poet. But he's it's not quite it's not really what's happening. Like, I think Ocean Vuong is maybe the closest I could think of, or like he's kind of got a He's kind of got a shtick and people seem to sort of get off on it and get like, and then it, you know, people like do poems after Ocean Vuong. So I feel like that maybe, but I don't know, like, I don't know that that's quite satisfactory. Yeah. I was thinking about Ocean's work when I was reading Robert Haas's Time and Materials. Mm. So it's, it's and you found, you found that, you found Robert, that, that book pretty annoying, didn't you? Yeah, really un uneven and a lot of the um, sort of ecstatic but nonsensical stuff that you come up against when you read Ocean Vuong or, or um, people who write like him. And I think people do write like Ocean as well. I think you're, it probably fits what you're talking about because yeah, yeah. he's influential. Um, but, yeah, reading this Robert Haas book, I was like, oh, is this where it comes from? Um, not Robert Haas specifically, but maybe that sort of, that time period 
Uh, maybe there are other writers working. Like maybe it goes back to that that new sentence thing you were kind of playing with in the last episode. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I found the essay that that comes from. I need to. I've mm. tried to read it. I need to like but sit down and make myself read it and see what I can do with that. Yeah, but there's sort of a um, an element of praise or yeah, like an ecstatic thing. Like a these are, these poems are talking to the divine um, in a way that makes them feel huge and their projects feel huge, but then there's so much weight and pressure on them that it kind of comes off as just super earnest and and a bit silly. Yeah. Um, And that's a little bit what's kind of going on with these Terence Hayes poems as well. And it's a a self-seriousness that we just couldn't get away with in Australia. You could not read a poem like this seriously at a... A reading here I though i think. could though though it has it's like i could see it being tweaked and and have like having a little bit of that like flat declarative deadpan quality in a like there is something like that in australian poetry but he's not getting there with like in, this is just sort of plotting and like un, unbearable the way he's doing it yeah and i think the fact that at the end it's an apology to his son for being a poor oh, listener God, yeah. Um, brings it to this like really personal and again kind of earnest space that is somehow makes the rest of it even harder to take right right Uh, it's like he laminates the hair into the people like oh no now it's sealed in you can't go no there's no escape now shit it's so sentimental (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, sentimentality yeah. yeah and you know i love that about being in the u.s and um there the I guess some of the Americans I know, not not all of them, but like there's a willingness to just be very plainly sentimental and very um, very nice. Whereas we're not we're not <laughs> nice here in Australia. We are not nice people. Yeah. We you know we we like you and all, but we'll probably tell you to go fuck yourself pretty regularly as well. Anyway, I, I think a, no. I think, I think you're right, poems. though. I think like the the religious thing is probably because there is. I think I think religious poetry is is eligible for badness in a special way. Not it's not. I wouldn't say it's unique to religion, but I think I think what it has to do with is like having a cause greater than yourself in a way is is in some, in some, in some ways is like the worst thing that poetry can do. Like mm-hmm. that's good for a human being usually to have like something that is bigger than yourself. But for poetry, I think it's often terrible because it means like what's really important is that we stop this war and, and that, like stop the war, but don't try to make your poem stop the war. Like like if you if there's a cause that your poem is dedicated to, even if it's like, I mean, part of what makes McGonagall's poem so ridiculous is that it's he's so serious about mourning the dead that he can't that he just like there's no air gets in. Um, yeah. and, and I think like that's whether it's like a social justice cause or a political cause or a religious testimony that that's sort of like it can excuse like that's how you that's how like religions uh, commit atrocities right it's like I guess we should yeah. do the crusades because you know I think like that's like I think that's a that's a really bad direction for poetry to go 
Um, <laughs> we have now reached the point where bad poetry is responsible for the Crusades. Yeah, no, no. I mean, you would say like, well, no, bad poetry. I'm comparing bad poetry to the Crusades. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, anyway. yeah no, I know what yeah. you mean. I think yeah. I think what you just said there about not letting any air in. It's kind of what I was getting at before about when you stop asking questions or when you're unable to ask questions about your work. When you just yeah. take it as read that like everything I say is gold and because it, it comes from this particular lyric impulse, this emotion, it's going to be good and I should honor it. Um, Which is, that's inspiration, right? That's like a, like if you too much believe in your inspiration and you don't sleep on it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's interesting with, again, um, with Terence's work because... I really love this interview he did on another poetry podcast called Commonplace where he talks about trusting his gut and he talks about being in a workshop and listening to all the feedback and then realizing, well, no, I actually don't agree with, with any of you. I like this line. I'm going to keep it in. Um, and I guess I, I can see why that's an important skill to be able to hone because you don't want to write, you don't want your poems to be written by committee, particularly if you yeah. don't respect half the people in the group. But yeah yeah but it's not so i, I it's funny because i was thinking about this question today in your most recent episode you talked to a friend who's this guy who's relatively new to poetry and uh and he was asking about editorial feedback from editors or from friends and you you sort of hedged and you kind of joked about how editors don't really say anything. But then you, what, you, what it kind of came to was like, well, with most poets after a certain point, you're kind of on your own. Like you don't, you know, like you don't necessarily, sometimes you have like a friend you really trust, but often it's sort of, it's up to you to decide, is this, so is it, what, is this going to be good enough? Is this, you know, because they were, you were talking about this particularly long poem and, and asking kind of like, well, whether this guy had, whether people had, had questioned the length or had, had pushed back on him and, and it kind of it comes down to finally it's got to be it's got to be his call so maybe the more important question then like who are bad poets because i think there are other like i think i would say like the, the other kind of bad poets like poets who are not necessarily that bad but they're they have a bad influence <laughs> i think like like e cummings would be an example like e cummings mm. had certainly had like personal problems uh and wrote some poems that i don't love but also I think it, it would be really unfair to say, oh, that's just garbage. Like, no, like he's doing some interesting things in some of those poems. Unfortunately, then people imitate him and it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, and I think there, there, there are plenty of other poets like that. But how does one avoid becoming a bad poet? Like, thankfully, we are fortunate not to be in Terence's position. But like, how <laughs> Thank do you... God. Right. We don't yeah. have Poor bastard. adoration. Yeah. <laughs> but We're how okay. You... I mean, because I'm cynical enough to say, like, whether you are getting rubber stamped by the New Yorker or you're getting published by some tiny local magazine, I think the quality of the work very seldom is the deciding factor. So how do you determine that you're not totally just humiliating yourself? Yeah, and I think what I was saying uh, to my friend on that walk was really more just representative of my own life because I don't really – well, at the moment, I just don't really have anything to share with people. And when I do, um, yeah, I, I I take their feedback on board, but I don't have anyone that I feel like I have that regular exchange with that it sounds like you have with someone like Ryan. Um but, but you do have that. And, you know, 
immediately after I said that, I was like, oh, that's not really true. Um, heaps yeah, well, of people it, work it, with yeah, others. Varies. It's, and it, yeah. it's, I would say it's not as regular as it has been in the past. And I, I, I have to remind myself because I get nervous about sending him subpar work. And so I end up not sending him work for a long time. And then occasionally I'll just be reminded because I'll send him something and he'll have some remark that helps a lot. And I'll think like, oh, right. That's because he helps me right back. <laughs> yeah. I should remember yeah. that that's the case. Cause I, you know. yeah. it's like a thought I have occasionally about this podcast where I think like, like wake up in a sweat and think like, oh God, this is so embarrassing that I'm doing this. And then, I, and then I'll think, oh no, my life was already embarrassing before I started this podcast. <laughs> like it was, was already like, I was already like a drama major and like published like a book of poetry and like another one. Like, no, like, I don't need to worry about that. Like that was already, that's, that's already a done deal. So I think maybe that's part of the, part of the, the curse or blessing is, is uh, you probably don't worry about humiliating yourself because you probably already have. That's the, <laughs> that's one maybe, way to look at it. Rule. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, any other, I'm trying to think of any other, like, important, important bad poets would be. You know what I'm thinking of here? Rupi Kaur, um, she's so boring. Well, she's see, like, this is the thing, right, yeah. is like, I'm hesitating to mention Rupi, but if you want to talk about somebody who's written work that, not just me, a lot <laughs> of people, a lot of people, I know you're listening, you too have said in private how much you dislike, you too dislike it, all right? Oh it's God! True. Yeah, I think my my suspicion is people who I my, I would suspect that anyone who listens to this is is not saying that in private. Is saying that <laughs> whenever <laughs> anyone's listening. Yeah. But I mean, talk <laughs> about starting a movement, right? Like, talk oh, about yeah. either is either starting a movement or doing just a huge amount of damage. Um, however, you want to put it. I yeah. am thinking. Sorry, did you want to say something? No, about just Ruby? like the, I tried. Like I I like looked up a bunch of Rupi Kaur poems, and the, the problem they're just so insipid. They just leave, like, they don't even leave a, there's, you can't even, I don't know. Like, I, I, I can't even get a, any kind of, like, there's no friction. They just sort of slide right off your brain. You know? <laughs> like, I, I can't, it's, not, it's like nothing just I can say Just the imagery tonight, Matthew, is just yeah. very, very rich. I'm liking it a lot. But yeah, what were you going to say? Yeah, no, it's not, it's not fun. It's, it, you just end up feeling gross. But I guess it is a, it's a useful example because, um, yeah. That first book came out in around 2016, and then since then, now we're at the point where Lana Del Rey has a book. Um, uh, Lana Del Rey has a book of poetry? Uh, yes. Oh, yes, indeed. Man. Yeah. Is this like uh, Billy Billy Corgan had a book of poetry? Or, uh, and or Jewel. Jewel. Yeah. Those are both Do you see A Night Without Armor in just like every single secondhand bookshop you go yep. into? Oh, yeah. Any used, any used bookstore. Yep. Can you imagine how many copies that thing must have sold? Oh, it's, I mean, and that's, yeah, I, that's why I, I'm a little bit skeptical of claims that people like reading famous spoken word poets or like, or even Ruby Coward poems on the page. Cause I think, I think people buy, people often buy books like that and don't, don't even ever intend to read them. Yeah. I think they might be more decorative objects. Let me read you, Matthew Buckley-Smith, oh, no. our, our favorite national poem here by the poet A.B., a.k.a. Banjo Patterson. All right. I'm going to read you the first stanza and just, just tell me what you think. This is a poem okay. that pretty much every single white Australian can quote at least the first two lines. All right. Uh, this is from 18 Dickity. There was movement at the station. 
for the word had passed around that the colt from Old Regret had got away, and had joined the wild bush horses. He was worth a thousand pound, so all the cracks had gathered to the fray. All the tried and noted riders from the stations near and far had mustered at the homestead overnight. For the bushmen love hard riding when the wild bush horses are, and the stock horse snuffs and battle with delight. Oh, it's oh like, you should see Matthew's face, guys. I mean, it's, <laughs> he looks, it looks it's, like he's eaten something very like, disagreeable. No, I mean, it it's, it just makes me sort of sad. It, like, it's like Casey at the Bat. Like, that's what we're like. This is like a, what's, there is no joy in Mudville. Mighty Casey has struck out. It's a, it's a, uh-huh. the whole, it's a whole poem about a guy who is a famous hitter and then he strikes out at the plate and it's sad, which is ridiculous because like even a great baseball, like hitter strikes out most of the time. Like that's what, that's what, a, that's what baseball is. But it's like it, the whole poem is a big epic poem about a guy striking out. But yeah, right. this, this yeah. is like a children's poem though, right? This is like a, or like uh, a. Boys to it's school a big, poem or something. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a poem that you learn in school. It's big and long, and it's about the man from Snowy River and his horse. And oh, that's where the man yeah. from Snowy River comes from. Yeah, it's where the man from Snowy oh, River. Because I remember from, seeing so. that movie when I was a kid. Is that related? Okay. To the, to yeah, the yeah, poem. Yeah. So the movie's based on the poem. Pretty sure. Huh. All right. I just remember it being a like a western I saw when I was a kid. Okay. Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, but, but that's, yeah. that's like that. I, that feels like a different category, though. Like that's a that's like um, that's uh, almost like like somewhere between light verse and like children's poetry, or like like yeah. a story storybook poetry or something. Yeah, I guess I just bring it up because even though um, it makes you cringe, yeah, it's very, very, very well known and well loved. Um, yeah, and it's and it's, yeah. it's at least what you read. Like it, it has a style. It's it is a it is a it seems to be a fully realized version of itself. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, like you need, in order to be really like it's like T. S. Eliot has the essay about like like mi- minor and major poetry. Like there's a certain you have to be fully realized. You have to like have a certain heft. You know, you have to like you you need to. You have to like reach a fighting weight of certain kind before you can count as like genuinely bad. But yeah, I mean that's that's like that's um I would say like an example of a poet who flirts with that, who but still I consider to be notable and I learned from him and I have a great fondness for him, but he flirts with badness so so prolifically, I would say is Edgar Allan Poe. Um oh. he's he's a genius. And it's incredible. Like he does these things that are unbelievably hard to do, but he also is relentlessly goofy. I think. I think the thing about Edgar Allan Poe is like he is popular for doing a thing that is a little bit different than the thing he's actually doing. Like I think if he were a spooky Halloween poet, then he would just be bad. He would just be like a goofy, funny, bad poet. But I think there's. There's like another layer of irony underneath that that makes the better poems what they are, but they're not all fully realized. Like I think people come to his defense rightly, but also I think he, you know the stories feel in in many cases a lot more 
well made and well balanced than the poems do. Probably gonna you can think of like two or three people who are gonna be mad that I'm saying this, but yeah, uh, yeah. There's like there, I don't know. There's like yeah. the, the man from Story River. Is that the name of the poem? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's got to be like a. I feel like boys' school poem is a category. Like Invictus, you know this. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. or uh, if. Um, yeah, definitely in that category for sure. Yeah, yeah. but they all, those all those poems all have style, right? There's a reason. Like people, you know, there's a thing there to like. It, in disliking them, mm-hmm. uh, whereas with Rupi Kaur, it's just. It's maybe it's like it's the, it's the, everything else that comes with it. It's like the presentation on the page, along with the profile and the photos and the little goofy drawing. Like the, there's a whole the shtick is not really the words are barely part of it. Any other any other bad poets we should should make note of, or other than other than uh, ourselves? <laughs> yeah, other than ourselves. Yeah. No, I All think right. yeah. Good good to stipulate that we definitely include ourselves in this category. <laughs> I was curious about your your poetry group because i just finished up with my little tonight it was just one of them one of them bailed so it was just uh i I, there are two ladies i write a poem with it once a week we each write our own poem one of us brings in a prompt and then we sit silently muted on zoom writing in front of each other for 45 minutes and then read whatever we came up with and then sign off and don't you know we like say a word or two about it but that's about it and it's that sounds so fun oh my god yeah what a great time i've never done anything like that and it felt very odd to be one of, one of them kind of came up with the idea and, and invited the other two of us but i have come to really like it and i write a lot of poems that way mm. uh but i was curious because you said that you in the your interview with who's the really delightful Gen- yeah what's her name jennifer compton yeah. Uh, yeah. In your interview with her, y'all talked about a a larger writing group of lady poets that y'all are both part of, and you talked about the the idea that had come up at some point of letting a man in the group, and she had to she had it sounded like she had strong opinions, but you both sort of agreed about this. Yeah. So I'm very much a latecomer and an intermittent member of Jen's group, but she started it a couple of years ago. And I think it was just decided from the outset that it was going to be women only. And in the interview, she told me that occasionally she'll meet just a really great male poet that she maybe thinks she might want to invite in, but then she stops herself because she knows that if there's a guy in the room, she's going to start performing and, and trying to, you know, generally impress and entertain him and uh, I was really relieved to hear her say that because that is precisely how I think I would react as well and uh, yeah I mean you know we're both laughing at ourselves because what a ridiculous thing to admit to (laughs) but it's true (laughs) it's true so would it be true if I mean and clearly like there's an element of this that has that's like totally removed from any actual like performance of like a personal or social engagement. But like, do you think that would still be the case if it were, if the man were gay? Um, I think to a lesser degree. Okay. Yeah, actually. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I think it's about like whatever power you give 
that person, which it has to do with like whether you think that they might think that you're attractive, I guess, right. which has totally got nothing to do with writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for some reason, it just muddies the waters for whatever reason. And I just love that Jen was was open about that. Yeah, she um, was so so winning. It was just such a charming uh, interview. Yeah, God, I was so scared to talk to her, but she's yeah, she's just wonderful. Yeah, very like very candid and unpretentious, and mm. like clearly has some uh, has some gravitas and has some weight to throw around, but also doesn't feel doesn't seem it doesn't seem to have stiffened her up at all. Not at all. Yeah. So I'm I'm I wonder about this because I, I I mean I've heard this for like girls' school and that it can be helpful for like girls to be in classes uh, by themselves and not just because of there's some you know heterosexual tension or whatever but just that boys are often noisier or bossier or just take up more space and that, I mean mm. that that like in my teaching experience particularly with less so with college students but particularly with high school students is that. Yeah, like often the girls are sort of clam up and the boys yeah. will will be rowdier, be sort of quicker to chime in. My fear or or like perception is that I am the I'm like the big loud dumb golden retriever in our writing group and it's uh, and it's probably annoying, but then also I think my hope at least, maybe it's because it's a small enough group, is that it uh, it lets them off the hook a little bit. Like or it lets them be, like my hope is that it puts them at ease a little bit because I think like they both write really like intellectual, often very grave painterly poems and I feel like every week I come in and like write an Ogden Nash poem or like it, like what I wish were it were an Ogden Nash poem, but it's like, I, I just find like consistently my presence is probably, probably bigger than it should be, but also dumber. And so <laughs> they like, I, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe like the other possibility is like, there are definitely weeks when uh, it's my zoom room, but I will just, uh, have to go and like make one of them the the person in charge and so like they may have whole other sessions when i'm just signed off so i don't know like may, at this point I, I may just be providing a zoom room for like they entertain me for 45 minutes and then they have their own workshop i'm not sure it could be <laughs> once you're finally <laughs> you know. gone right yeah uh, so that could be that could be happening but yeah it it made me think like i'm there is a there is something curious about about a but I'll say this as a as a man, and the same thing like men consistently, uh, both men and women consistently prefer female therapists, like or, or whether that's a therapist or a you know psychologist or psychiatrist or whoever you're going to go talk to about your thoughts and feelings. Consistently, people tend to prefer women, mm. and I think similarly, I know a lot of male poets, and I even hang like talk to and talk to about poetry these other male poets i can't in a hundred years imagine doing this with any of them this silent writing with each other but not right necessarily and then just commenting. sort of like mm. right yeah like you know like maybe sharing a thought or two but mostly just writing and then listening and then signing off never in a hundred years 
and so it it does seem like there's a maybe the, maybe this is just like one more example of like men need women but women don't need men. I look I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's so interesting that you can't because I was going to ask like, do you feel like you also need to write and to get feedback from men and that you would also want like a no I would, yeah it would feel like saying like hey you guys want to take pictures of each other's dicks like it just would be too weird <laughs> like it just like i don't I just, tonight, you, couldn't, Matthew. you couldn't you couldn't do you know it would be so much like less plausible than like any i mean like any potential male activity like yeah I, I can't. but you know poets like i know poets writing. and i know they write po- right and i even yeah. will read poems with their some but like no the idea of doing that just is just too it's too weird just, oh my god <laughs> fuck promise really me i never be. have to be a guy <laughs> yeah, so it's, hard yeah i mean it's it is i will all right see i'll say i'll say this i think i think like i i'm i like plenty of other people are kind of irritated with the with the uh the the buzz word toxic masculinity I think mm-hmm. it's like kind of poorly conceived. But I think what's, what's like even more poorly conceived about it is that is the attribution of it. Because it gets attributed as like that man is is doing toxic masculinity. And like there are men who are jerks and are jerks in, you know, familiar way modes. But if this is a thing, it's a thing that like you that is uh, is inherited. Like you have it. It's it's in your. It's the same way that like girls have weird feelings about their bodies because of you know magazines or movies or what. Like even in the best of cases, like it's it's something that you have in your blood and you can't opt out. Yeah, and like that's yeah and, yeah. So no 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 male poetry groups. I yeah I hope I hope there's like some theoretical version of a. Again, it seems like they like the group <laughs> now like i realize there's no way i can actually know what <laughs> like it's it's totally the uncertainty principle like i can't actually perceive it without myself and thus no there's no control matthew's writing uh lady friends just please message me on twitter and let me know if you actually have yeah Hel- helena or charmaine if you ever do cause i think they do know about the podcast but if i don't think they listen but if you do happen to listen to this please write to Allison. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, at least at least set her straight. <laughs> yeah, no. Wow. So you you would not. So, but for you, it would be, uh, it would be just pointless to do one of these with a man. No, no, I don't think that at all. I just think that the power dynamic is different, and I think that, I mean, that has to do with with my attitude and like the way I position myself in relation to men. It's hard to really know. Like I'm thinking you, about the poetry turn off teachers the camera, that I've had. Wear a burqa yeah. and do, use <laughs> but, a voice voice filter app so they can't. Yeah, definitely not pointless. I just have to watch myself and make sure that I am not taking on feedback just because this person's a man and yeah. um, I've given them a level of authority and power that is that they haven't asked for and that they're you know is just just totally imaginary that that just happened like for me and i'm just talking for myself and from my own experience here but that is something that i have to try to catch myself and stop myself from from doing and i don't 
have that same set of concerns with women, which is not to say that I won't put a woman whose who's work I admire or, or any person whose work I admire on a pedestal and then decide that their, you know, their opinion is law and whatever for a period of time and then get over myself and, and then walk away from all that. But it's, it's just a thing. I mean, you guys come with a whole, like you said, right. come with a whole set of, um, set of stuff. Yeah. It's, it's not that you're solving all the problems. It's just that there's one big set of problems that is relatively easy to solve by excluding them. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's other things, right? Because um, in, in the group that I very, very occasionally have, have um, worked with and written with, um, the feedback's incredibly gentle and I still think it's useful, but occasionally it's like, I don't know, I, it feels a bit like we're all just being nice to each other. And right. um, It's almost like you, you really need the help of a man to tell you what to do. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. I know some guys have taken pictures of their dicks. I can get them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, so we have to so do my, this so, later in the day more often. Yeah, so tired. My, my, uh, so my question then is, what should you say? Like, you have to be careful with yourself. So, what should I do to be less obnoxious, or or like, what should, what should I do to dampen the effect of my staggering masculinity and my overwhelming? <laughs> <laughs> just the waves of testosterone that roll off me when you sign on to zoom what should yeah what should way, i do all the way across the pacific um i have no idea male friends of mine ask me this sometimes and i don't know how to answer them uh or help how do i how do i not be a bad man how do i <laughs> is that like a how do i not get me too or is that like a how do i not like how do i not well, no, have applied it, to me everything bad people say on twitter about men yeah um, it's it's just because there are um, hundreds and thousands of tiny decisions that you and I are both making about how we're going to be and how we're going to take up space and how we're going to um, share space with each other to get a bit Liz Gilbert about it. That mean and and because you know you're coming from from one corner of the boxing ring and I'm coming from the other. It's the dance is going to go in a, in a particular way. Wow, my metaphor is so mangled. Um, uh, can yeah. I start that again? <laughs> yeah. which I, which, I have yeah. no answers for you or so, anyone else. That is right. what I'm trying to say. And I, How should I enter and I, I wish I did. It's, with my female friends? You know. Yeah, I just, I wish, because I used to do um, improvised performance here in Melbourne and this came up all the time because guys were always the ones who would start scenes and come out on stage and... Um, what I did was, you know, I started like a female group where we would all play together and practice together, but it didn't really help because as soon as you got back on stage with, with the guys that were just 10 times more confident, loud, took the first line, you know, every time. And the only practical suggestion that anybody came up with, which was not from a performer, but from somebody's wife was, she was like, I just keep trying to tell my husband, like, just take a breath, just yeah. take a beat and see if anybody wants because it's it's like just that half a second longer yeah. so that in my mind I can get over the um, imposter syndrome and constant narrative that I don't deserve to speak and that everything I'm saying is fucking bullshit <laughs> you know it takes yeah, a little yeah, while yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 no I mean 
my experience of certainly any kind of performance situation, but also I think like doing this podcast or having a conversation with, you know, some other couple at a dinner party or whatever. My experience is one of terror at the imminent crashing down of like not only a deafening silence, but like a silence that will reveal the basic emptiness that's been like underlying our entire conversation up till this point. So I feel like I jump in to speak and I definitely end up speaking more than my fair share out of like a panicked feeling that I need to rescue people. Like I, like it's, I don't want to be, it's not necessarily confidence that like, oh, I, it's important for me to be the one speaking now. It's more like, fuck, no one's going to speak. I better jump in. Yeah, yeah. You just, yeah, I completely understand that impulse. Whereas from, from where I'm sitting, I'm like, I better not say anything. I've got nothing to say. Everything I have thought of to say is stupid. No, I mean, like very often the conscious thought I have is, I don't have anything worthwhile to say, but I better start filling the air with words so that I can give this person a t like a chance to think of something to say. Right. I mean, that's definitely coming from a really good place. <laughs> God damn it. It's <laughs> not helpful at all. <laughs> if I could solve this problem, do you think I would have solved it already? Like, yeah. <laughs> only I'll say only my male friends have noted that this to, like have made the point of saying this to me before. It's not that it doesn't happen with women. I think maybe just women are less likely to say, but like I will have male friends say like, what did you just say? And I was like, oh, I was just, I was just making placebo speech. I was just trying to like fill space <laughs> to like for the next comment to come, which I like until I was like well into my twenties, I assumed was something everybody did because so much of like small talk sounded like gibberish to me. So I just, I just sort of would occasionally just fill in with some gibberish uh, because mm -hmm. I, I feel like well, we need to just continue to sound like we're carrying on the cadence of two people having a conversation. So what do you find then when you're listening to yourself back on this to get super meta? Like what oh, do you just find about you? I just cut. I just say like, this is so fucking stupid. Just Part of it is like, <laughs> I, tr I try to identify when it's shtick. Like when it's, uh -huh. when I'm kind of going to a ready, a ready kind of set of patter. And I try yeah, to, okay. I try to most, mostly to get rid of that. Uh, and then just a lot of semi-coherent rambling and I, I just cut a lot. No, I mean, it's, I've got, at this point, like I, everybody hates hearing his voice recorded. And at this point I've gotten used to my voice, but I hate hearing my thoughts recorded. <laughs> like that's yeah. what's... I was just going to say, yeah, it's, it is tough at first. And then what's kind of great about doing this is you get to learn your little patterns and your little go-tos, your little tells. I think it's a net positive, even though it is quite painful sometimes. The podcaster's dilemma. It's really, it's, it's a hard life we've chosen, Matthew. Yeah, <laughs> we do it, you know, for uh, love. What did I, I feel like I heard some good advice on this subject from all merry men are minstrels then who keep their troubles locked inside and don't inflict them on the world. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've got troubles of my own. Uh, I'll try to solve them all alone. <laughs> This is so lonely. This is this is the thing that gets me is like, um, I think you've got your needle drop there. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, it just it just breaks my fucking heart though because it's like I feel like I have because I have like plenty of male friends, and and they'll come to me. They'll be like, "Oh, Alice, you know, I haven't told anybody this," and mm -hmm. and then it's like, 
Cool, but like you have friends. You have friends. Tell your friends. <laughs> Go and tell your friends who are yeah, men. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. and it's like you're all being lonely at the same time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In parallel. That makes no sense. Just talk yeah. to each other. <laughs> Please, for the love of God. Right, I'm yeah. busy. <laughs> <laughs> that was my conversation with alice allen of poetry says uh, excellent podcast you can find her as always on twitter at poetry underscore says you can reach me at sleerickets at gmail.com or the uh, (laughs) uh, well-coordinated team of responsible adults monitoring uh, the Slee Ricketts Twitter account uh, at Slee Ricketts on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. And with any luck, I will be speaking to you again very soon. Until then. Yeah.